0: Good to be in God's Word today. We are continuing our series and our journey through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, We're calling this uh, whole series Servant and Savior as we look at uh, Jesus modeling for us the kind of life that we might pursue. Today, our focus is on looking at a couple of fundamentals of the active faith that uh, Jesus uh, serves as an example for us to to pursue. And so we're going to be looking at praying and preaching. Our text today is from Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn there. Uh, We also have outlines available as you come in the front doors. Those are always available for you to pick up if you're a note-taking type of person. Well, be sure to read the fine print. You ever heard that saying before? We've all heard it, but how many people actually do it? Well, at least one person did, and it netted her an easy $10,000. A Florida company called Squaremouth hid the instructions for claiming this prize in a document for every travel insurance policy that they sold. Now, the company planned to run this contest for an entire year. They thought it was very unlikely that anyone would notice the section titled Pays to Read on page 7 of the nearly 4,000-word document. But they didn't count on high school teacher Don- Donnellan Andrews. This self-described nerd said she always reads the terms of every document, whether it's digital software or a travel insurance policy. And so Andrews printed out her policy and she sat down to read it right away. And she soon came across a section that said, this is a contest that rewards the individual who reads this policy information from start to finish if you are the first person to contact us, you may be awarded the Pays to Read contest grand prize of $10,000. And so Andrews wrote to the company immediately via email, and she got a call back the next day to let her know, yes, indeed, she had won the $10,000. The contest was only 23 hours into what was planned to be that year-long run. (laughs) She said, the main reason I always do it is that in college I majored in consumer economics, so it's always been a passion of mine to be aware. The the company estimates that only about 1% of its customers actually read their policies. So Ms. Andrews, who is soon to retire, said she plans to use that money to fund a trip to Scotland to celebrate her 35th wedding anniversary with her husband. So I'd say that in her case, it pays to read the fine print, doesn't it? Well, that kind of made me think about this. Knowing the fine print of God's terms of service for his followers is pretty important. He's given us very great and precious promises that we can claim by faith through prayer. And so today, we're going to be talking about some fundamental, if you will, terms of service in the Christian life today. And so here's our summary statement that we want to just kind of focus on, and it is this. Prioritize a place for prayer, and then preach in all places. We, as I said, are making our way through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, right now I'm going to invite you, if you will, to stand with me as we read this passage together, the Word of God together. Let's stand and read Mark 1, verses 35 through 39. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for Jesus, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Amen. The word of God. Please be seated. So as we think about these terms of service, these fundamentals of our faith that are demonstrated in the life of Jesus that you and I can apply to our lives, we're going to look at three of these this morning. And the first one is this, start with prayer. Start with prayer. Now, we learned last week, in in last week's text, that Jesus had had a very busy Saturday. If you remember, he had cast out an unclean spirit during the the Sabbath worship service in the morning. And then in the afternoon, he'd headed over to Peter's house for lunch and ended up healing Peter's mother-in-law which caused then that evening the whole city to arrive and gather at the front door of Peter's house as Jesus healed many who were sick and cast out many demons. And so I was thinking, I imagine after a long day of continuously interacting with people, Jesus must have been exhausted, just physically exhausted. And it would have made perfect sense for him to say, I'm going to sleep in tomorrow morning. And yet, that is not what happened. According to verse 35, what does it say? And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out into a desolate place, and there he prayed. You know, in the Gospels, if we were to go through all four Gospels and count it up, we would see Jesus praying 25 different times. Those prayers happen in various locations. Sometimes they're with people present. Sometimes Jesus is praying out loud in front of a crowd. But most often, he is by himself, alone with the Father. And so I want to think through this idea of starting with prayer. And in the text here, I found three things that stand out to me from Jesus's prayer life that I think that we can use in our own practice of prayer. And so let's take a look at those for just a moment. And the first thing that we want to see is that prayer is planned. Prayer is planned. That phrase very early that Mark uses from the phrase, we can tell that, the time of day that Jesus went out to pray was what they would call the fourth watch of the night. That means it was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. There's precedent for early morning prayers in many passages of scripture. Here's just a few. Psalm "O oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the 119th Psalm, in verse 147, I rise before dawn, and cry out for help. I hope in your words, Lord. And then from Isaiah chapter 50, morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. You see, when we pray early, we get our marching orders for the day. Now, I don't know your schedule or your uh, responsibilities early in the morning. We all have different things going on, and this is not a a legalistic rule to put down that you must get up every morning at 3 a.m. and pray, pray. Don't hear that from me. But I want us to be encouraged to think about how can we rearrange our schedule to make prayer a planned part of our day? And the one thing that we see is that Jesus planned for times of prayer. And so, how about you? Secondly, I want us to see that prayer is private. Notice that Jesus found a private place to pray. The word desolate is the same word used for the wilderness. It means a lonely and deserted place. In Luke chapter 5, it says that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. That was a practice of his. And so let me ask you this. Do you have a private place to pray? You know, Jesus himself encourages us to find one. You might remember in Matthew 6 where it says, but when you pray, these are the words of Jesus, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you you know life today is full of things that consume our attention every day we spend time on these things don't we our cell phones or our devices catching up on texts and social media we also turn to them for amusement and distraction and information our electronic companions are never far from our grasp are they From the moment we wake up until we go to sleep. And the trouble with this constant connection to the world around us is that so often it can negatively impact our spiritual life. And so I want to encourage us to look to Jesus for a pattern. The Lord left the bustling crowds. He left the pressing needs around him And he left even his own disciples to go out to that desolate spot to pray. And so I want to encourage you, when you enter a private place, shut out the noise. And when you do so, you will enjoy the Lord's sweet presence as we fellowship with him in prayer and in his word. He will supply us with his life each day so that we can live a more spiritually healthy life. Prayer is planned. Prayer is private. And then third, I want you to notice that prayer is prolonged. Prolonged, the tense of that phrase. And there he prayed means that he continued on in prayer. Jesus didn't just offer up a quick one-liner to God. God, bless me today. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. In my name, I pray, amen. You think Jesus did that? No. Prolonged times of prayer. In Luke chapter six, it tells us that at times, Jesus would pray all night long. I've never prayed all night long. I don't know about you, but Jesus did. There's an old axiom that maybe can be helpful to us, and it says, little prayer, little blessing, some prayer, some blessing, much prayer, much blessing. Or maybe you've heard the expression, don't just sit there, do something. Now, some of us probably need to hear that because we're just sitting around. Maybe we're sitting around scrolling through on these things. But most of us really need to hear a twist on that phrase. And it would be, don't just do something, sit there. So many of us are so busy, 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 busy that sometimes we need to just sit for a prolonged period of time and just listen for the voice of God in our life. You know, I love our first Friday prayer times here at the church building. We started this a couple of years ago. Every first Friday, some of us just gather here just up in the front corner of the auditorium and we get it in a circle and we just spend some time praying. We sit and we listen to others. Sometimes we don't say anything at all. We just have a time of silent prayer. And then we pray to the Lord. I want to invite you to join us next month. We just had it this past Friday, and it's a rich time of fellowship. I hope you'll consider joining us on the first Friday prayers. You know, since the Lord Jesus Christ needed to pray, how much more must we need to pray? In chapter 5 of John, Jesus declares his dependence on the Father. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord. Here's a a truth that I heard years ago that's helped me through the years. Somebody wrote this. Prayer is not about getting my will done in heaven, but about getting God's will done here on earth. The famous evangelist, Dwight Moody once said, We ought to see the face of God every morning before we see the face of man. Maybe if he were alive today, he might have added, We might ought to see the face of God every morning before we see the Facebook. So here's a challenge. Before checking your Facebook feed, before turning on the TV or the radio, opening the paper, whatever it is that you do, how about putting your face in God's book? How about putting your face towards the face of God and spending some time in prolonged prayer? I read this story about very early African converts to Christianity who were very earnest and regular in their private devotions And each one reportedly had a a separate spot out in the the thicket, in the woods, where they would go to pour out their hearts to God. And over time, the paths to these places became well-worn. And as a result, if one of these believers then began to neglect their time of prayer, it soon became apparent to the others in the village. And they would kindly remind that negligent one, brother, the grass is growing on your path. The grass is growing on your path. Is grass growing on your path? Start your day with prayer. Take it to the Lord. Prolong that time. And now let's then consider a second fundamental of faith, if we will. A a term of service after starting our day with prayer that Jesus demonstrates for us. And that would be that we should stamp our life with faithfulness. Stamp it with faithfulness. When we stamp something, that means there's some ownership there. On the front of my Bible, it's stamped with my name. I know this belongs to me. Is faithfulness stamped into your life? Peter and his friends realize that Jesus has become a sensation. They're in Capernaum. And so they kind of panic when they find out that early morning that he had left the house. And so look at verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for Jesus. They went and searched for him. And that word search is the idea of pursuing earnestly as when hunting. It's a hunting word. They went out hunting for Jesus. Where is he? In Luke chapter 4, it says, uh, this same account, it says that they sought him and they would have kept him from leaving them. That means the idea is that they think Jesus is making a mistake and it's their job to bring him back to all the people who find him so popular. Jesus, what are you doing? It's like they were maybe like snapping selfies with Jesus and they wanted to show him off some more. We see this in verse 37. It says, they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. As if that is a good thing. They're excited and maybe even annoyed a bit that Jesus had snuck out the back door and disappeared. They can't understand why Jesus would be hiding out when everybody was there seeking him to help them out. And it occurs to me that we live in a culture kind of like that, don't we? A culture that values popularity above character. Celebrity over substance. We admire the popular people simply because they're popular. We celebrate the famous just because they're famous. The disciples liked that Jesus was admired. But you see, Jesus didn't care about being popular, did he? He didn't care about being popular with people because his focus was on faithfulness. His life was stamped with faithfulness. He had a job to do, and he was focused on accomplishing it. Author Philip Keller writes this about Jesus. He says, Jesus was more interested in the quality of people's response to him than in the quantity of the crowd. I love that statement. More interested in the quality of the people's response than in the quantity of the crowd. You know, in our culture, we count everything. And numbers mean something. Even us preachers do that. When I get together with other preachers, you know what we talk about? How big is your church? How many people are coming on Sunday morning? What's your count? We count Because we're interested in quantity, as if that reflects something important. When what's really important is the quality of the response of the people that are coming to Jesus. And so what about you? Are you trying to fit in with people? Or are you being faithful? Would you rather be popular or would you rather persevere in your faith? Will we stay committed or will we compromise when our culture comes at us? Will we bail or will we believe? Start your day with prayer. Stamp your life with faithfulness. And then a, a third fundamental of the faith, a, a third term of service, if you will, in the fine print that is demonstrated in the life of Jesus that we can apply to our own life is this. Strategize ways to reach out, we said we we're going to talk today about prayer and about preaching, about proclaiming, and so that's this is the proclaiming part. Strategizing ways to reach out. I love how Jesus says and does things at times that kind of just totally stop the disciples in their track. Now they're expecting Jesus when they find him to come back to Capernaum. Capernaum is the largest city in the area. Jesus' popularity is growing exponentially, and there are many who want to see him. Jesus is a budding rock star at this time, if you will. But check out verse 38. And Jesus said to them, what do they say? Everybody's looking for you, Jesus. And Jesus says to them, let us go on to the next towns so that I may preach there also for that is why I came out. Now, you know, some of these towns were quite tiny and they didn't have nearly the same importance as Capernaum. And yet to Jesus, they were very important. That's because Jesus cares for every community because he loves every life. Wherever you live is Jesus's favorite place because he loves you. Capernaum has heard, and now Jesus is ready to take the gospel to other places. Jesus strategically moves to other towns and cities, and he wants us to do the same. One author puts it this way. He writes, no one has the right to hear the gospel twice while there remains someone who has not heard it yet once. I love that Jesus says to the disciples, let us go. Isn't it it cool that you and I are invited to join Jesus on his mission? He does the work, but he does the work through us. Our mission is to preach in all places and to reach all peoples. We are to prioritize a place to pray and then to preach in all those places. To Jesus, this is not optional. His purpose in coming was to take the good news everywhere, for that is why I came out, he says. In Luke chapter four, the the partner uh, of this passage, Luke captures it with even stronger words. He says, uh, he, he quotes Jesus as saying, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. I must preach, for I was sent folks that's what we're called to do to share the good news to proclaim to preach that's why we partner with missionaries and ministries strategically position all around the globe it's been a while since we've mentioned this but that's what those flags on the back of the auditorium represent here each one of those countries and nations and places they re- those are places that we invest strategically located so that the word of God can go out. This morning, uh, Steve and Becky Overland are with us. Raise your hands, guys. There they are. They're here visiting. Uh, They are our, our missionaries. And they are missionaries to other missionaries. Steve and Becky's job is to invest in missionaries and their families so that they can be healthy and cared for. So that when they go out on the field or when they come back, they are refreshed and ready to continue representing Jesus around the world. And that's what we do. We are to prioritize a place for prayer and to preach in all places. And so we partner with others. It's part of the mission that Christ has given to his church. You know, in Matthew 28, one of those last things that Jesus says, Go therefore and what? Make disciples of all nations. We call that the great commission. But think about this. It's the great co-mission because we are called to make disciples in partnership with Jesus. It's not just a task that we're to accomplish, but we're to join him in that work, in that mission. That's why Jesus calls us to prioritize a place for prayer and then to preach in all places. Wherever Jesus went, he was committed to preach the gospel while well, he performed many miracles, according to verse 39 of our text this morning, the main reason he came was to get the message of the good news out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And so, as Jesus launches out from Capernaum that day, it's likely that this preaching tour that he went on out into all of Galilee lasted weeks or perhaps even months. As he traveled about from town to village to place to speak the good news. The message is more important than the miracles. You know, some of those in the first century were shallow and self-centered. And they were focused on the sensational. And they were interested only in what Jesus could do for them. Does that sound like any other culture that you might be aware of? The message of the good news matters more than anything else. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. I read an article about how the Church of England, you think about England, All of the tabernacles and the churches all over that beautiful land. The the Church of England is considering closing all of their churches and only opening them on Easter and Christmas because they've lost so many members. Most of those churches sit empty on Sunday mornings. At most, they have two or three people that might gather. They don't have enough pastors to fill the pulpits. And people aren't coming. The church buildings are quickly becoming museums because, why? They stopped preaching the message of the gospel many, many years ago. One bishop, referring to to a major report about the future of these 16,000 Anglican churches, places of worship, suggests that the buildings must be preserved because they are, quote, an unparalleled part of our country's heritage. that sounds really nice doesn't it but folks if buildings are supposedly most valuable because they remind us of the past then that's not going to last is it you see the christian faith has to be a living faith in which it is understood that nothing less than life and death for eternity are at stake do we believe that A community heritage may explain why buildings are preserved, but a commitment solely to heritage will never keep the church alive. Museums are about heritage, but churches must be about living faith and living witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that this place will never become just that, a place. The church is a gathering of God's people called for a mission and a purpose. What are we doing to pray in this place and then preach in all places? In 2010, a group of eight people from two local churches felt called to the Detroit Boulevard neighborhood of Sacramento, California, It was known as one of the most notorious crime-ridden neighborhoods in all of Sacramento. Each house in that neighborhood was a place of danger. Nonetheless, this group of just eight people decided to walk through the neighborhood praying over each home, praying for the presence of Christ to reign over the violence and the addiction and the oppression that was settled in that neighborhood. And so they began walking through the neighborhood on a regular basis, praying home by home, street by street, praying against the strongholds of addiction and violence. One of these eight people, a former Sacramento police officer, a former gang detective, reported that each time we prayed over the houses, we felt the weight of oppression becoming lighter. He says that one day, a woman from one of the houses burst out and angrily confronted them as they stood in front of her house praying. But then when she discovered that they were praying for her home and for her community, she asked them to pray for her healing. And she was healed. The group soon decided they needed to do more than just pray on a weekly basis through this neighborhood, and so this group of eight people decided that they would move into that neighborhood. They rented homes and apartments in that community purposely, and they started what they called Detroit Life Church. A couple of years later, the local newspaper, the Sacramento Bee, did a report, and the report said that there were no homicides, no robberies, no sex crimes, and only one assault in the Detroit Boulevard neighborhood between 2013 and 2014, the year just after this group moved into that neighborhood. Detroit Boulevard had been transformed by a small group of eight people who took it upon themselves to pray, and then to begin to preach the good news in the neighborhood. By investing in that place, by praying in that place, they brought the transforming power of the gospel to an entire neighborhood. Folks, Jesus calls us to prioritize a place for prayer and then to preach in all the places. And so this morning, I'm going to ask this. What does that look like for you and for me? what is your strategy personally? You know, those eight people in that story I just told you, they had a strategy. They had a plan. The plan started simply with walking around and praying and then developed into starting a church, moving their homes into that neighborhood. What is your plan? What is your strategy? On the bottom of the insert this morning, as I often do, I'll have a section called Your Personal Response. And I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider these three questions this week as you think about preaching and praying and your role in that. If you haven't picked one of these up, they're on the table just by the front doors. You can pick one up as you leave today. I want to challenge you to prayerfully consider your role in praying and in preaching. I'm the preacher at Garden Way Church. But my job is to prepare you to be preachers of God's good news through your life, through your interactions with the people you work with, the people you live near, the people in your sphere of influence. And so that's challenge number one. And then I've got a second challenge that I want to place before you today. We've been talking for a few weeks now about something we're calling our future-focused gathering. That's coming up on June 27th. There's a little blurb there in the, in the program that today that tells you a little bit about that. But we're going to be joining together to pray together, to eat together, and to begin to consider some ideas of how we can more effectively preach the good news of Jesus Christ here in this community where God has placed this local church. So I want to encourage you to think about coming to that meeting. Now, it's very important that you don't just show up at that meeting. It's important that you register, that you commit to be there, because there's going to be a little bit of homework that you need to accomplish before you come to that meeting. So please think about registering. If you'd like to attend, you just fill out one of our connection cards. Those are right by the front glass doors. There's a box there, the, the uh, connection card box. Just write on here, uh, f- future-focused meeting. Put your name on there, how many people are coming, so that we know, so we can have lunch for you, so we can send you the homework. Make sure you include your email address or a number where we can text you so that I can send you the homework. All right? Then one more thing, one more challenge. I was just struck by this idea of Jesus praying early in the morning. And so here's a challenge for you. I'm looking for a small group of people that would be willing to meet with me one day a week early in the morning. Again, I don't know what your schedules look like. Some of you, it won't work. That's okay. But I'm looking for a group of folks that will meet one day a week early in the morning to start our day with prayer and specifically pray for this congregation. So if that's something that sounds appealing to you, that God is speaking to you about, then again, on the connection card, just write early morning prayer. Give me a contact number. And if you would just write the best day and time for you to meet. And as we know, those things are hard to organize. And so when we start doing it, it might not be the best time for you. You might not be able to come. So maybe we'll start another group and another. I don't know. But it's going to start with one group. And so if you want to step up to that challenge, you write your name, early morning prayer, and a contact number, and I'll be in touch with you. We'll see if we can get something rolling. So those are my challenges for today. We're not here just to hear the good news but we're here to do something about it. So what will you do? I've given you a number of options. Pick one or two. Get going as you start your day with prayer, a prolonged period of prayer, as you think about preaching in all places. Let's pray together. Father God, we are so grateful, grateful that you have called us and invited us into your mission to save this world. Father, we are easily sidetracked by so many things of this life Father, may we think soberly and clearly as we we make plans for the future, Lord, that include you and put you at the forefront of our purposes, of our choices, of our activities. God, may we think clearly as we prepare to walk with you on this great commission you've invited us to. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. 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 Well, we're going to enter into our time of communion together today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 26, Paul is giving some instructions about the Lord's Supper in that lengthy passage, but uh, one little verse there, it says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I was struck by that word, proclaim. We've been talking about preaching in all places, proclaiming. It's another word for preach. Whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming. You know, the early Christians gathered to break bread. They would also be singing and there would be preaching. But the communion time, the Lord's Supper was at the heart of those gatherings. They were remembering Jesus as they broke the bread and drank from the cup, even though he was physically removed from them. Paul gives us added insight about what happens at the communion time. He says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. How does that happen? What and how am I proclaiming when I take the Lord's Supper? To whom am I proclaiming? Well, just a little bit earlier in chapter 10, Paul talked about two tables. He said, there was the table of the Lord and the table of demons. The table of demons had to do with, uh, for those people in the first century, eating food that was sacrificed to idols, which was a common social practice at that time. Paul called that the table of demons. And it occurs to me that today, as we live our lives, we might be tempted to let something besides the Lord feed our hearts. And if we yield to that temptation, then we wander from God. And in a way, we begin to eat at the table of demons. But when we gather to take the Lord's Supper, we are telling the spiritual world that Jesus is the source of our lives. In a way, we are proclaiming to the devil that he has been defeated and that his curse of sin over us has been broken. He no longer has a say in our life because we belong to Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as you eat the bread and as you drink the cup, you are making a proclamation, an announcement. The forces of evil don't want to be reminded of that truth. But at the Lord's table, we celebrate with heaven the victory of the cross. So today, may we be nourished at these tables as we celebrate our Lord and Savior. Let's pray together.